It's the Mind Unset, episode 31. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Even with 31 of these things in the books, I still consider the Mind Unset a new show, still finding its voice and dialing in the concept. It is an ever-fluid process. But now that we've got a small body of work, the emails from listeners are growing more and more interesting. Some with suggestions or advice, mostly about the solo episodes. The guest episodes are straightforward. I don't think there's any mystery or complexity there. But when it comes to the solo pieces, I get a lot of entertaining comments. Yeah, I'll use the word entertaining. Most of them, fabulous. Very complimentary and kind. Thank you. My favorites, though, are the ones telling me to get therapy, try meditation, or better yet, medication. I've had more than a few folks suggest that I should hand over all of my questions to God. Thank you. But if I did that, I'd no longer have a show. One of the comments I get the most is, you need to inject more of you into the show. Recently, I had a cup of coffee with a friend of mine who listens to the show, and he said the exact same thing. I want to hear more of you. Honestly, this confuses the hell out of me, because as I write and produce these episodes, I am constantly trying to inject less of me. The solo episodes already stem from my interest in a particular area that I might be wrestling with or fascinated by. And if I'm curious, I think maybe you're curious too. The lead-in is always through me, and the outro usually has some sort of wrap-up with my take. So naturally, I was intrigued by his comment, and I asked him to tell me more, explain exactly what he meant. He said, there's no passion. There's no definitive answers. You don't give us results. There are too many loose ends. Now, I mentioned this today as a lead-in for a reason. I couldn't have asked for a more perfect setup for today's topic, the art of subtlety, the captivating dance between the lines, the delicate balance of expression and restraint, the whispered nuance that when performed correctly, elevates above the din of the modern world and teeters at the edge where the questions just might be more important than the answers. When I was seven or eight years old, I remember being at my grandmom's house on Gross Street in South Philadelphia. It was a Sunday just after church and a lot of my family was there. My brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, and uncles. My grandmom lived in the typical inner-city row house. Neighbors on each side, stone steps, and one of those metal sofa gliders. I loved that thing. The interior was wall-to-wall in plastic. Sofa covers, floor runners, dining room chairs, all protected for the millennium and beyond. I doubt the woman's butt or anyone else's ever touched the fabric on her couch, nor her bare feet to the rugs. Plastic. Miles plastic. And I can go on and on describing her house, the smell of basil and oregano, the herb garden out back, and her beautiful wedding photo that hung above the black and white console television. But this is not a story about a row house in Philly. It's about a button. The button on my grandmom's blouse, second one down from the top. The one she had re-sewn with a thread that was a few shades lighter blue from all the other buttons. I noticed it, and I didn't know why at the time, but I noticed little things like that all the time. Grandma, why is that thread different from all the other buttons? My question embarrassed her. I was seven. I didn't know what that meant. 
I was reprimanded by my father, and it was the first memory I have of a time when my noticing got me in trouble. I have always noticed the little things, the tiniest nuances that a lot of people might overlook. The small bits of life hold my attention longer and more intently than any grand gesture. The slightest sounds, fragrances, shades of colors, the slight mannerisms and body language of those around me, their expressions, their words. I notice the frequencies in people's voices, the way they move their eyes when they talk, their laugh, how the corner of their mouth drifts up when they smile. I notice how they hold their coffee cup or tuck their hair behind their ear when they're nervous or self-conscious. I notice that my neighbor's truck has a front wheel bearing that'll need attention and that the cashier in our neighborhood market always matches her lipstick to her blouse and her earrings. I'm fascinated by the subtle differences in how people walk or run, how they swing their arms, tilt their head. Are they smiling or knitting their brow? So many variables, so much to observe. It all registers and can be overstimulating and overwhelming at times. And as a young guy, I didn't know how to decipher the information or compartmentalize it into things that mattered and things that didn't. It created a lot of problems, and I learned to tamp it down, or I tried. This recent conversation with my friend triggered this memory and several others. It's always good to be challenged on your work. A good challenge goes a long way in getting me to look critically and think critically about what I'm doing from the point of someone whose opinion I value. He's also a regular listener and probably listening right now. I don't think I'm breaching any confidence by telling this story. It's relevant because as things have been doing lately in my life, our conversation aligned perfectly with this episode at just the right time. It seems as of late, I will think of something, begin to flush it out, and then watch as it appears in other areas of my life. It's amazing, beautiful, and the story, this story, is developing much like a Hollywood movie would. And speaking of movies, I need to take this exit ramp for a minute to talk about the Oscars. Yeah, the Academy Awards. Seems like a random left turn. It's relevant. In full disclosure, I don't watch them. I don't watch the Grammys or any award shows. But every year when the Oscars roll around, I think about a guy, and not just a guy, but quite possibly one of the greatest character actors of our time. To quote Al Pacino, not just our time, but that time before and any time after. This guy only acted in five films during his short 10-year career. Why was his career so short? Because John Cazal died from lung cancer in 1978 at the age of 42. So why do I think of John Casal every year when the Oscars roll around? And what the hell does it have to do with me as a seven-year-old kid and this episode decades later? I'm going to connect the dots. But before I do, let me first just tell you the five films that John Casal acted in. 1972, The Godfather. 1974, The Conversation. Also in 1974, The Godfather 2. 1975, Dog Day Afternoon, and 1978, The Deer Hunter. All five of these films won or was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. John Cazal was never nominated for a single Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor. Never once acknowledged for his performances. 
Every one of the films he acted in achieved the highest honor bestowed on a motion picture, and never once did Casal receive a nomination. Francis Ford Coppola, the director of The Godfather, said that Casal was so remarkable and instrumental in his role as Fredo Corleone in the original Godfather, he wrote in a bigger part in Godfather 2 just for him. Coppola talks about his improvisational instincts and mentions the famous scene in The Godfather where Michael Corleone, Al Pacino, informs Fredo that he's being excommunicated from the family. Casal sinks into a chair and then uses the chair to convey one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Go on YouTube. Look it up. To this day, John Cazal has never received the acclaim he deserves. A lot of people say he never stood a chance next to actors like Pacino, Brando, James Caan, Gene Hackman, De Niro, Meryl Streep, and Diane Keaton. Other people say Cazal wasn't even acting. It was just great casting. They say that was just who he was. There was nothing brilliant about it. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you only watched one of Casal's performances, it would be easy to miss his brilliance, the subtle nuances. But if you spend time with several of his movies, you'll notice that Casal isn't playing a character. He's not acting. He becomes the character through the most subtle of movements that he's created to bring that character to life. There was nothing bombastic or exaggerated. He exposed mannerisms expressions, sadness, and humor that the writers and directors never imagined. He never drew from previous roles he played, and no two characters were ever the same. They walked differently. They talked differently. They never held a cigarette the same way. Meryl Streep was the love of his life at the time of his death. She said, no matter how tragic and sad the character was, he found a way to inject humor. And no matter how funny the scene there was always an inherent sadness that was John. One reviewer wrote, amidst all of the great performances and masterful direction is a performance so underrated because of the way it blends into the story. It blends so well, it almost goes unnoticed. The word subtle itself contains a bee that is, by itself, the definition of the very word, not immediately obvious delicate, difficult to notice. John Casal was the master of subtlety, of nuance. And I believe it's the reason he was never acknowledged for his performances. It is astounding to me that the Academy Awards, a show devoted to celebrating the art of acting and movie making, packed with masters of their art, members of the Academy, have for decades completely miss the guy who did what they are celebrating so well. He's gone unnoticed. Remembering John Cazal reminds me that there is an immense power in the delicate moments. There is an art to the understated. The story lies between the lines. Here's the quote I want to get to from Pacino. John taught me about asking questions and not having to answer them. That's the beauty. You ask the question. You open the door for things. And then you have the variables. We live in a world that demands our attention through a cacophony of sights, sounds, and messages. The art of subtlety 
invites us to pause, listen, and truly engage with the hidden depths that lie beneath the surface. We risk missing a great portion of the story if we confuse the elegant labyrinth of subtle communication with the lack of passion or equate nuance with uninteresting. That seven-year-old kid hasn't changed. I still notice the thread, the nuance, and I have never been as interested in the answers as I am the questions. You see, this is not a show about results. Every episode only has two objectives, to inspire and encourage. Now what you do with them is up to you. And if you want more of me, I suggest you read between the lines and listen in the pauses because I'm right here. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And do me a favor, share it, tell your friends, because the show doesn't go anywhere without you. We drop new episodes every Wednesday. If you want to listen to back episodes or find out how to support the show, you can do both at themindunset.com. Okay, next week, my guest is a marine biologist and chief scientist at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego. Fabio Favoretto talks all things ocean, how climate change is affecting species migrations, and about a little-known archipelago known as Mexico's Galapagos. I'll be here. I hope you will, too. And until then, be nice. Do good stuff.